Hi, this is Cliff for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. Figures of thought. What's that about? Well, one of the things that I think is necessary for a creative talking circle or a dialogue group or just dialogue in general is becoming aware of language use and especially the things that uh, are in the way of a free exchange of ideas. And really what we're doing with the language, I would suggest, is not just similar, but directly analogous to what we do in yoga in the Alexander Technique. In the circle and the square, I see that as the, um, what I call the twin guidepost for all learning and education. And I'm not really talking about schools in the first place, but just learning and listening as a lifelong practice. And we think of yoga as simply uh, doing things in a very general way as it was really first conceived uh, uh, hundreds if not thousands of years ago in the East as a way of doing things without unnecessary force, without force. Now it's very interesting to let that sink in. So it's not just physical movements of the uh, mind-body, but everything that we think, say, and do, and make, alone and together. Well, now we have the complementary gift, and it is indeed a great gift, by F.M. Alexander, the discovery of the Alexander Technique. And it's so powerful and simple that it's very hard, uh, if you haven't directly experienced it, I suppose like Zen sitting meditation practice, if you haven't actually physically experienced it, it's hard to know what it's all about because there are no uh, exercises that one learns. But in my own words, going on now from Alexander's initial insight, it's about uh, learning in an ongoing way, to do things without unnecessary tension. So you can see how they would fit together without force and without tension, unnecessary tension. Well, now we move on from there and uh, consider the yoga in Alexander technique of language use and add to that the insight of Krishnamurti and Bohm of proprioception, becoming aware of thought as a movement in an ongoing way, alone and together. So you're watching ever the underlying movements of thought and thinking. To me, it's a part of yoga in the Alexander Technique, or short, the AT.
so we can do it right here and right now, that figures of thought, well, that's a little riff or trope or meme on the uh, more usual figures of speech that we use in English, but figures of thought. So what it is, is a way of talking that is symptomatic of thought. So we're doing it proprioceptively. It's a kind of meditation as we speak, alone and together. You can do this just as easily in the wilderness, utterly alone, or in a talking circle when you're discussing matters of crucial importance. in going into dialogue, but also content, which happens to be relevant at a particular moment in a particular space and time, say like in the political arena. So figures of thought which are in the way of dialogue are in the way of clear perception. So we're making a difference between thought and perception, thought and listening, thought and creativity. And we're not defining it, we're just saying the things that are in the way. Like that's the beauty of the AT, is entirely a movement, in my view, of negation. You take away the tension and really what you're doing is returning to a natural watercourse way, the way of the Tao in flowing movement of the whole of nature. So you can see in education, if you become aware of it right from the very beginning, that you never learn these ways of force and tension to begin with. And that's what we want, it seems to me. That's a part of the education of the educator. So you're creating a protective space that first and foremost stops like an invasive species before it can take root in a kind of corrupting way. So figures of thought. Well, Bohm himself suggested too in the 1990, I think that's the date, uh, dialogues that were actually part of them were published in a book form. And I thought it was quite striking, uh, sweet talk and strong talk. Well, I'd like to expand that into a quartet, sweet talk, strong talk, smart talk, and hate talk. Well, uh, let's go into each one in turn. Well, sweet talk, we see that everywhere. It's a kind of persuasive speech that really, when you go into it, the underlying mechanisms of thought itself, that you have an image of a state you wish to achieve that can be just in a, a family, a school, classroom, or it can be in a whole present nation state. 
that you want your citizens to behave in a certain way. You can think of that as like a, a, a knob, a dial, a, a potentiometer that uh, has uh, numbers from zero uh, to ten that you can just keep turning it up in uh, the degree of persuasiveness. Now just let that uh, resonate a little bit. Where do we see that? Well, I would suggest the culture of force with its accompanying economy, runaway economies of um, predatory, I don't want to use that word, capitalism. It's worse than that. Exploitation, runaway exploitation. Well, you can see how persuasiveness, well, what is that? Well, the paradigm is the television commercial, the all-pervasive television commercial. Or frequently, because I go back and forth between uh, wilderness, nature, and culture. Remember that little 17-step uh, poem, Poet's lyre, between the pegs of nature and culture, I span my string. So I just, the day before yesterday, came back out of a wilderness uh, trek, loop, refuge, um, and I'm back down at my studio office. So I enter back into the world of culture, and after a kind of fasting, really, of weeks, so just seeing concentrated electromagnetic light and, and grids and whatnot, at first it takes hours to get adjusted to it. But walking into a, like a little country store, all of the lights and the packaging, just everything is shouting at you, buy me and this is wonderful, you need more of this. Well, just imagine what it's like growing up into television culture. All of that sweet talk of what it would be like to have this, this new house, this new car, this new cell phone or computer, or to be as beautiful as this young man or young woman or whatever. And it's just f flaming the, the desires that is not a part of thought, but is actually the movement of thought. So you, could, you can see how you could do a whole book-length exploration of just that one thing, of how cultures deal with the mechanics of thought and thinking. The cultural force of force can try to tame that fire of desire, control it, like you control weeds with Roundup or some other glyphosate combination of poison. So you're trying to control it, and it begins with a kind of division. Any kind of control begins with a division. But this is going to lead us astray. So with persuasion, is always bad. Think of that in terms of dialogue. And with our potentiometer, 
in the electronic music studio, you used to call them pots. You had them everywhere. Now they're digital. Those little knobs you can turn up. Well, television, just spend an evening watching television and think of the knobs. Where would you put them? Is this a one or is this an eight or a ten? Or, and all of that money and energy that's behind that persuasion trying to convince you that this is what you should set your desire to possess and achieve and become. You see, some cultures would try to turn, to force that uh, dial down to zero. Other cultures at present, we turn it all the way up to 10 and it's in a runaway. Think of that for young people, how ugly, how violent that is. Well, what we're doing is neither. It's simply like getting in and out of the chair in the Alexander Technique. You mean I'm paying 60 bucks an hour to learn to get out of a damn chair? <laughs> What's the point of that? Well, if you haven't had an Alexander lesson, you should try it. Maybe you can get a free one somewhere. But all you're becoming aware of, it's not about the chair, but it's about the unnecessary tension. And when we look at sweet talk proprioceptively as a meditation, we're doing it right now, you see how destructive it is. And once you have this figure of thought, that's why you need the language. It lifts it up into awareness. And once you see it clearly, once, you see it forever, clearly. Especially, especially if you're doing it not just alone, but in a real talking circle, together with friends who are deeply committed to this understanding, into this kind of liberation of getting out of this quagmire of thought, of being caught in thought perpetually. So that's our sweet talk. Strong talk is obviously directly related, but in trying to say, oh, well, you're so good, you, you would look so beautiful with this new car. It's the other way around. It, it's, uh, it very much fits, fits in perfectly to what I think of as the secular Christian culture. It's going to make you feel guilty. It uh, will say either this, the strong arm that you're uh, threatening in the background, that something bad, if you don't conform to what this way of talking, this figure of thought, is trying to convince you, really, what to think and do. It's mostly thinking and doing. There's very little making part of it. So just think of politics, for example. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves, because that's going to be mostly hate talk, isn't it? So strong talk has a little uh, dial, potentiometer, that you can turn from zero. That's, of course, where we want it, but not getting ahead of ourselves. You can see you can make that into sweet talk, too. The desire to be free of desire, to be free of these figures of thought. 
So that's the yoga in the AT requires a non-attachment, a karma yoga, so that you're indifferent, like a sunflower is indifferent to whether or not you perceive its beauty. That doesn't mean it's insensitive. It's just non-attached to the results. And that's what you learn in the Alexander Technique, in my view. That's why it's so powerful. And that's what we learn and practice in our yoga. So strong talk. And you can see how that, when it becomes all the way up to 8, 9, and 10, it becomes threatening. That's how nation states talk with each other. But to quickly moving on for our quartet, smart talk. That would be the one that someone like myself is most guilty of. <laughs> there you have guilt. Uh, that is whatever falls into the cotton thought trap. Not guilt. But the, it's just a part of the nature of thought. For whatever reason, I've taken refuge outside of, for the most part, artistic and intellectual circles and find myself, and for some time, with uh, living in communities with working people, agricultural people, ranchers, farmers, and whatnot. And you have many occasions given uh, my background, you can see that uh, I learned a long time ago working with uh, Swiss mountain farmers as a part of the family, not just a hired hand, that it's very easy should you go that way to intimidate people with language, just throw in a few Latin terms. Or, and I think we're doing that continuously take a uh, uh, climate crisis. When the scientists talk about uh, their research, frequently they'll slip into smart talk. And it has an averse, a counterproductive effect. It's very off-putting in a way. But it's much deeper than that, because if it's a figure of thought, then it has to do much more than just being unaware of surface features of language, of being overly complicated, like uh, the arts can easily become. But you're projecting an image of being superior in a way. And you can see that, especially in the culture of force, we worship that, just like we worship in North American culture, uh, the billionaire, we also worship the, uh, in the arts and sciences especially, the intellectual, the supreme intellect with the great memory and always with an answer about everything, the talking heads that you see and hear on radio and television. We worship that. Oh, could I be as intelligent as that? whatever, that effortlessly spits out all the statistics and numbers and has read all the books and whatnot. And 
why is that a figure of thought? Well, because what's actually taking place is that we're projecting an image that is there to dominate and to once again uh, control. Control those below you. So it's simply a tendency that's going to result in force and unnecessary tension. So it's a part of our yoga and AT, in proprioception, to see smart talk. And with all three that we have so far, notice that when you turn the dial up, it slips, we slip into runaway. In one of the symptoms, we're talking about language and speech in writing, is the runaway. We're not just talking about runaway sentences here. But it's the much will have more of thinking and thought itself. And one of the symptoms of that is, uh, well, if we could digress into music and poetry, is the relationship between just pure sound and silence. A tempo is a part of it too, the rate, the speed, the velocity. And if we were to have a recording of the past 2,000 years of speech, just like it would be interesting to have a time-lapse film of the past 2,000 years of mountain ranges and glaciers, one of the things that would be most noticeable, I would conjecture, this is a theory, not a fact, is that uh, we talk faster and more. One of the many side effects of that is that there's contaminant, <laughs> there's a, a in terms of relationship, there's much less listening taking place. And of course, dialogue is listening. It's not about listening, it is listening. So these figures of thought are the things that are in the way. So this relationship between sound and silence is something to give attention to. If you're coming back from the wilderness or natural world like, like I am just right now, it's quite noticeable that our avian friends, the birds, they almost invariably sing with a, it's ugly, but in mathematical terms, 50-50. There's a very delicate, beautiful balance of sound and silence, the calling out into the space and then emptiness, simply resonating with that space and listening. And of course, uh, you can, they're listening for other colleagues and friends, competitors, for example, for territory, but it's much, much more than that, than, than just um, 
Darwinian survival. That's a very distortive way of looking at the mutual benefit of the community, the weave of nature. So, figures of thought Sweet talk, strong talk, smart talk, and then putting them into a runaway, thinking of in terms of degrees. And then the last, and we'll finish with that, and it's appropriate because in the culture of force, you're turning that up on a dial. Well, I don't know where you would put the present uh, dominant uh, Western culture of force. How, where would you put it? Is it at a five or a six or seven or... Um, but the hate talk uh, seems in the present era to be all pervasive. And again, there are many metaphors and analogies just waiting to be had. It is like an invasive species. And it is a discadia that one bad thing leads to another. So if you lose a healthy idea of freedom, remember the eagle of freedom always has two wings, freedom to and freedom from. And that eagle can only soar when there's a perfect balance. And perfect means not just once, but always looking at the balance of freedom to and freedom from. Not just a stagnant fundamentalist idea of a Bill of Rights, but fundamental concepts of freedom. Well, if freedom to dominates, now just look at all our dials, where will that lead to? Sweet talk, strong talk, smart talk hate talk. Well, we can take control not directly of the minds, that's not possible, thank the gods, but we take control of what? The media. That someone who has some sort of image of how they want the world to be with a lot of money takes control of the newspapers in the old days, and to a certain extent still, but especially radio and television. Well, uh, you could easily argue, and some have to a certain extent, that just taking control of radio, what does that mean? That there's supposed to be, radio is like uh, the roads. We just heard a car go by the office here. The village is waking up where I'm sitting. Well, we take it for granted that those roads are self-organizing. It's a marvelous system of communication with only a handful of simple rules of what not to do. That car knows without thinking it can't drive on the left-hand side of the road in North America. It knows it can't go faster than 30, 40 K. It knows it has to stop 
And there are just a few rules like that. So you have freedom to and freedom from. There goes another one. And because those both are in balance, we uh, have self-organization. Now the airwaves were intended in at first that way too. And that's why monopolies, for example, were broken up. Well, you could easily think of roads being like if Microsoft were a car, it would just take over the entire highway. So you would have the rule of the biggest and brutish, and the ones with the most resources would just take over the roads. Well, everyone would find that an outrage. But they're very clever, these people. Otherwise, they wouldn't have that much money to begin with. So they do it step by step. Like that uh, despicable Rupert Murdoch has taken over one paper after another, now going all the way to the once great National Geographic. Why oh, I didn't mean to get political or specific. Perhaps we'll edit that out. But uh, um, that happens step by step is a kind of corruption. So you can see how freedom too, well, uh, they have a right to a certain extent with the freedom too, but we have a, a right to be free from their corruption, efforts to control. That's where our fourth figure, hate talk, has uh, become such a noxious weed in American culture, especially, that uh, these very limited uh, groups of people have taken over the airwaves. And for example, out in rural North America, it's just all pervasive. These hate talk radio programs. Every time you get into a truck or car, that's what you hear, and that's been going on now for 20, 30 years. And people actually believe that that's thinking. So basically, they're projecting fear and telling you what to hate. And it's highly entertaining. You know, it's watching the brutish brain, our lower animal instincts, which are not uh, um, totally independent, but not uh, centered in conscience, and are not part of compassion, but they're part of our natural history, say like the uh, wolf or grizzly bear. Well, uh, we revel in that uh, you can see uh, how that would fire up all kinds of hormones and whatnot and direct, it's not awareness, it's not attention. Our gaze, and make us feel strong, good, and powerful the more that we do it together with friends of a sort, a community of a sort. So hate talk, there's an awful lot of that going on. And it's one thing just to have hate talk, 
but it's another to amplify it with what all the instruments money can buy. So freedom from, freedom to, and we'll end with that. That uh, the obvious thing is in democracy based on freedom, that has to be limited. So like uh, one of our sayings, a free economy is a strictly limited economy. It's almost like a Zen koan because it seems contradictory at first. But it's true if you start to go into it, just like that road where we heard the car go past. That is the perfect model of it. A good self-organizing road is a strictly limited road with very clear rules that are universal. So if you wanted a political revolution, it's entirely negative at first. The first thing you have to take away are these figures of thought, but especially uh, money. It's very easy to do. But don't expect it to happen with the people who are in power, because that's how they got there in the first place. So, uh, like all self-interest in privilege, it wants to hold on to those in positions of power and control. But uh, uh, once we become aware of it, this quartet of figures of thought is liberating because the hate talk doesn't touch you. You watch it simply without moving. And then you see instantly where it comes from. And that source is not out there. It's in each and every one of us, in thought and thinking itself. So in the talking circle, there are other talks, like hate talk can degenerate into threat talk. But this quartet, I think, is a good place to start. Sweet talk, strong talk, smart talk, heat talk. And it's wonderful to really go into it and give one's energy to it. Because it's all about having fun in the free space that we create alone and together. Well, that's it for now. Let me know what you think. This is Cliff, signing off for the picture-poems.com website and the circle and the square. Ciao for now.